All right, so what we're going to learn today is this a story from the Parsha of this week. And um, one, thing, one thing that needs to be uh, prefaced is that, is that uh, in Judaism and in life, very often the least important, the least important ingredient is, is the most prevalent ingredient. And the most important ingredient is only a tiny fraction of the of the recipe. And when we talk about the recipe, I'm talking about the recipe for a good day, the recipe for a good week, the recipe for a good life. Um, that the, uh, the important ingredient is often only like 10 or 20% of the recipe. And even though it's only such a small fraction of the, of the whole, it's the most important part. And people get confused because they think, oh, it's so small, it's so, it's so minor. It's not important, and everything else which is so big is more important, but that's not how it is. So let's learn the story. This story takes place in the desert. Um, the Jewish people are giving Moshe Rabbeinu a very hard time. If you're reading the Parsha this week, this, this, week, this week's Parsha, next week's Parsha, the Parsha after that, and the Parsha after that, Baha'alotcha, Shlach, Korach, Chukat, are four impossible Torah portions where the Jewish people give Moshe Rabbeinu a run for his money. Moshe, of course, and God. One challenge after another. And to the point that in this week's Parsha, Moshe Rabbeinu says to God, I can't. I can't anymore. I can't deal with them. I can't handle them. I need help. So Hashem tells him, take 70 um, of the Ziknei Israel, 70 of the veteran Jews, elders, and I'm going to, I'm going to take, I'm going to, to kindle from the, from the flame that I gave you, and I'm going to put it on them. So they will have a little glimmer of your koach. And that way, Moshe Rabbeinu got 70 deputies. And these 70 deputies, when God said, I'm going to take a little bit of the light, that is yours, and I'm going to give it to them, it means that they all became minor prophets. Wow. Nevi'im. They all gained a very minor level of prophecy, which enabled them to assist Moshe Rabbeinu in leading the Jewish people. Uh, you're talking the, the 70 people, or the 70 people gave it to Am Israel? No, no. Just the 70 people. The Shivim Zikainim were, were granted uh, the gift of prophecy. Now, there were two of these 70. One's name was Eldad, and the other's name was Medad. Eldad and Medad are, are chosen, are selected in the Torah. The, their, their story continues past the other 70 because their prophesying experience extended for longer than the others. And um, when everybody else had, the ceremony was over, and they had been given this the koach, and they had been given this gift of prophecy, and, and then it was all over. Everybody went back to their lives. Eldad and Medad continued to stand there and speak prophecy. So this was a little bit of a scandal, because um, because Yehoshua, uh, um, I believe it was Yehoshua, came to Moshe and he says to Moshe, what, "What kind of a chutzpah is this that these guys?" are standing here and prophesying, and they're taking advantage of the gift that you gave them, you are our prophet. 
And if they were given the gift of prophecy, then they should prophesize when you tell them to, or when you ask them for help. They shouldn't just become independent contractors and start prophesying independent of you. That's a, that's a rebellious. And he tells Moshe Rabbeinu, they need to be gotten rid of. It's a chutzpah. It's a, it's a revolt against you. And Moshe Rabbeinu says to him, Shua, calm down. I wish that all the Jewish people would be given prophecy. And that's the end of the story. Now what happened? As, as this whole commotion is happening, Moshe Rabbeinu's wife, standing next to Moshe Rabbeinu's sister. Moshe Rabbeinu's wife, her name was Tzipora. And she was standing next to Miriam. And Tzipora said to Miriam, I, everyone's so excited that Eldad and Medad and the other Zekanim are prophesying. And I say, Oy vavoy. I feel terrible for their wives because now that they became prophets, they're probably going to separate from their wives. So Miriam says to Yitzipora, why would you say such a thing? A prophet has to get divorced his wife. And Tzipora said, yeah, Moshe separated from me ever since Mount Sinai. He doesn't, he's not with me anymore. He moved out. So Miriam said, what? What are you talking about? Why did he move out? Just because he became a prophet? And then Miriam says to Tzipora, Miriam runs to Aaron, her brother Aaron, and, and Miriam says to Aaron, Aaron, we got to do something about Moshe. I'm a prophet. I've been a prophet a long time. You have been a prophet a long time. Did God ever tell you that you should separate from Elisheva? Aaron says, no, never. God never told me I should separate from Kalev. I don't know why Moshe decided that because he's a prophet, he has to separate from Tzipora's. It's not right. Not nice. Not right. And then, boom, the two of them experienced a humongous revelation. God came and told the two of them, go out of the camp, I need to talk to you. To the husband and wife? No, no to, no, to, to the, the brother and sister. Oh. To Miri- no, not to the, not to the two women. To, to Miriam and Aaron. Miriam, oh, Miriam and Aaron, oh, Moshe's oh, brother and sister, okay, yeah. who were comparing notes, yeah. saying, why is our brother, why has our brother done this right. to Tzipporah? And then God gave them a lecture on basically, you don't know what you're talking about. This is above your pay grade. Don't talk about Moshe. You say, I'm a prophet, you're a prophet, and Moshe's a prophet. No, 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 no. And then God says to him, your prophecy is not like his. His prophecy is a whole different level. And, that's a, and, that's the, and then God gave Miriam leprosy for, for speaking gossip about her brother, Lashon Hara. And then uh, Moshe prayed for her that she yeah, should be, be healed. Because she was the one that uh, she yeah. grabbed Aaron and said, Hey, yeah. what's going on with Moshe? So, um, so then she got uh, leprosy, tzarat, and she had, to, she had to be in quarantine for seven days. And to honor her, the Jewish people did not move in their journeys. They stayed in one place for seven days to honor Miriam. Because um, without Miriam, there would be no Moshe Rabbeinu, as, the story, as everybody knows the story. And, so, and that's the end of the story. Right. Yeah, there would be no Moshe, there would be no Amisra, there would be no Exodus. Also, but she's the one that convinced her parents to have Moshe. Without her, there would be no Moshe Rabbeinu baby, wouldn't be born. So let's learn now, page two, 720, we're going to read the Psukim inside. Pasuk 1. 
Miriam and Aharon began speaking about Moshe. About the Isha Kushit that he took. Because he had taken an Isha Kushit. Now, this Isha Kushit, it's a, a very, 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 yeah, it means a woman from Kush. But the women, the women from Kush were black women. Um, that, was their, that was their identifying mark, was that in the, in the, the women from Kush were black. So there's different opinions in the commentaries. And Rashi, who is the most uh, literal of them all, says that this was a sort of a euphemism, the way Mrs. Stillman says, oh, what an ugly baby, that, um, that, Miriam, was, uh, that Miriam was talking about Zipporah, who was legendarily beautiful, and calling her an Isha Kushit. Because she was not an Isha Kushit. She was an Isha Midianit. She was from Midian. She was the daughter of, uh, of um, Yitro. Of Jethro, which was in Midian, it's not Cush. So it's not clear what, I mean, not clear. Different opinions, what it means when the Torah says that she was Isha Kushit. But the point is that they spoke about the fact, they spoke about Moshe's marriage. And they said to each other, What is this? Only, God, only Moshe Rabbeinu is a prophet. God only spoke to Moshe. God spoke to me too and you too. And, and, what they, and what they meant was, why is Moshe separated from his Isha Kushit? Why is Moshe separated from Tzipayla? Vayishma Hashem, and God heard what they were saying. Vayish Moshe, anav me'od. And Moshe Rabbeinu, that man, was so humble. Mikol ha'adam asher More humble than any man on the face of the earth. So he wouldn't stand up for his honor, so God did. Vayim Hashem, so God said, Pit'om. I'm sorry? He heard them? Uh, no, he didn't hear them. But even if he would hear about it later, he wouldn't say anything. And even if he had heard it, he wouldn't say anything. And that's what bothered Abishter. How could you speak about somebody that's so humble? Why would you uh, slander him behind his back? So God said, peace to them. Suddenly, meaning suddenly they had no time to go to the mikveh. They had no time to prepare themselves for a prophecy. The Rambam describes very, very specifically how prophecy works. That prophecy works uh, in, in, with a system. If a, prophet, if a prophet wants to receive a prophecy, he has to go into a prophetic trance. He needs to prepare himself. He needs to be in a good mood. They, they said that the prophets used to have musicians around them all the time to lift their moods because if they're, if, if they're in a bad mood, if they're, in a, in a, if they're in a gloomy mood, there will be no prophecy. So they wanted to receive prophecy. So they would have music playing and they would meditate. And then, and then when, they were, when they would merit, Hashem would drop a prophecy on them. So Miriam and Aaron were completely unready to receive a prophecy. Here they are standing around talking with each other. Gossiping. Gossiping. And the Torah says, which means suddenly prophecy. Why did God speak to them like that suddenly? Because that, just by that he was already making his point. Making he, his what? Point? Making his point. That you're comparing your prophecy to Moshe's. Oh, you don't know what Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy is like. Let me show you. What Moshe Rabbeinu's prophecy is like. Moshe never knows when I'm going to talk to him. You guys, you work for it and you prepare for it. You go to the mikveh, you purify yourself, 
and you put yourself in a state of prophecy. Moshe doesn't. Moshe, I'm talking to him all the time. And he never knows when he has to talk to me. It's earlier in, the, in, the, in this week's parsha, a bunch of Jews came to Moshe and said, it's not fair. We weren't ritually pure to bring the carbon Pesach. We want a second chance. So Moshe says, okay, stand by, I'm going to ask God. In other words, Moshe never knows when he needs to speak to God and never knows when God is going to speak to him. God spoke to Moses. God spoke, it's like 500 times in the Torah. Moshe doesn't know when God is going to speak to him. So therefore, so, Moshe... Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. If he doesn't know when God is talking to him, what does it mean? That Moshe is sitting like this and waiting for God to talk? No, it means he's going about his day and suddenly, and out of nowhere, God starts talking to him. So, so, so Miriam and Aaron said to each other, Oh, someone quickly give it. Hashem is talking to us. We need to go to a mikveh. We're not pure. And Hashem said, You see? And then you want to know why Moshe and Zipporah had to separate. Moshe is not like any other person. Where you say, you know, he's a, pro- a prophet can be married, a prophet can live a normal, a normal mundane life, and if he needs to receive a prop- prophecy, so let him go to the mikveh. Let him go and purify himself. I thought he had to go to the tent. Yeah, but before he goes, oh, you mean for God to talk to him? Yeah. Well, that was when God wanted to give him an official, uh, official. An official message, but, but God spoke to him, no, not just that. Even in Mitzrayim, God was speaking to him outside Pari's palace, and one time God spoke to him inside Pari's palace. So, yeah, no, God spoke to him um, all over the place. So, so, they, so they said, why does he have to separate? If he, if, he, if he wants to receive a prophecy, he can go and prepare and receive a prophecy. It's no big deal. So God says to them, that's not how Moshe Rabbeinu works. Moshe Rabbeinu and I are like friends. We're always talking. So you can't compare yourself to him to say, well, if we can be living a, a, a material, mundane life, then so can Moshe. No, you can't compare yourself to Moshe. And let me give you a taste of what it's like to be Moshe. He suddenly starts speaking to them out of nowhere. And, and like Rashi says, they started crying, water, water, somebody quickly bring us, we have to go to a mikveh. Mm-hmm. So God said suddenly to Moshe and Aaron and Miriam, He said, I want the three of you to go out to the area of the Mishkan. And the three of them went. And God came down in a, in a, a pillar of cloud. And the pillar stood next to the entrance of the Mishkan. And then the voice called to the only Aaron and Miriam. And the two of them went out to a private spot. And God said to them, Listen, hear my, my words. If you will prophesy, Hashem b'mare elav esvada, then God will appear to you in a vision. Bachaloim adaber boy, as in a dream. The Rambam describes how a, a, a prophet is a big Torah scholar and learns a lot of Torah and then meditates and and reflects and ponders and celebrates. And then suddenly he starts to receive prophecy and his, his or her body is overtaken by the prophecy. So it would literally be like a, uh, like a seizure. person will fall on the floor and be unconscious and shaking, yes. 
And then, when they get up, they'll say, um, I just received the prophecy, Ko amar Hashem, so says God, and they'll repeat the prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu, so that's what God says, Bamara elov et vada, I appear to the prophet in a vision. I speak to him in a dream. That's how prophecy works. Standard issue prophecy. <laughs> but, but not so for my servant Moshe. He is welcome and trusted in my whole house. He has the key. He has the key to my house. He has a different channel with God. These expressions that God uses about Moshe is the sweetest of the sweet. He's, a, he's trusted throughout my whole house. He's my buddy. He's my buddy. I speak to him face to face. He sees, there are no riddles. He sees a true vision of God. The prophet, the Rambam also writes that when a prophet receives a prophecy, he receives a riddle. And it's up to the prophet to understand it. To you know, translate like to, it. To, to interpret to it correctly. Yes. So, the, so for example, we have a, in this week's Parsha, this week's Haftorah, you'll see that the, that the, the, the vision, it's a, it's a prophecy from the prophet, I think, Yeshaya. And it's a menorah, a golden menorah with pipes and oil leading into the cups of the menorah. And then a big, it's a very detailed vision. And the prophet... You'll see that many times the prophet says to God, explain this to me. I don't understand what's happening here. Or, they, or the prophet will say to an angel, help me understand what I'm seeing. So God says about Moshe, He sees what he sees with HD. He doesn't see riddles. No riddles. And, he's, and when, we talk, when, I, when we talk, it's face to face. So then why were you not afraid to speak ignorantly about my servant Moshe? Hashem became angry at them and he left them. The pillar of cloud departed. And they, so they turn, they see their sister Miriam white like snow. The skin turns white. Tzarat is that there's a spot on the skin that becomes, that becomes white. But there's different shades. And in this case, it's white like snow. He sees his sister, his illustrious, pious sister, and she has tzaras. Why is he saying it twice? I don't know. But yeah, Merahalad Aaron and Moshe. So Aaron quickly turns to his brother Moshe and he says, "Be Adoni, please, my master." <laughs> See that speech had an immediate impact on him. <laughs> he started calling his Moshe Rabbeinu his master. Mm-hmm. Please do not bear a grudge against us for acting foolishly and for sinning against you. Al not he commit. Please don't allow Miriam to be like a corpse. Who comes out of his mother's womb, the Yachel Chatzib Saro, a stillborn, and, the, and the, half the body is uh, rotted away, which is part of Tzarat sometimes, that the skin becomes, very, uh, becomes raw. 
Vayitzak Moshe Hashem Leimor, so Moshe Rabbeinu quickly turned to God and said, which is again another illustration of the fact that Moshe, whenever he wants, talks to God, and he says, Please God, heal her. Now, that's by the way, the Yedid Nefesh prayer on, on yeah, Friday. Yeah, exactly. I love it. It's from here. In the in that prayer on Friday afternoon before Shabbos, yeah, yeah. we sing to God about how our neshama, our soul is lovesick for God. And we say, Please God, heal her which is taken straight from this line. So God said to Moshe, yeah, in the, in the song, it's the song. If her own father had been so upset with her, so disappointed with her, that he had spit in her face, don't you think she would have suffered from shame for seven days? At least seven days. Let her be in quarantine for seven days outside the camp. And then I'll take her back and she'll be okay. But he saw Miriam Miriam was quarantined for seven days. And the people didn't move until Miriam was, uh, was healed. So, Rabbi, excuse me. I, I don't think Tzara'at. Tzara'at is a disease. Is, is, a, is a Medical it, disease? Yeah. It is... It's a skin disease, like, like... Leprosy, leprosy. Huh? Leprosy. Yeah. Yeah. It so it's not like they become pale. They become pale and disease. In the Torah, tzarat is a religious, divine punishment for, sla- oh, for slander. I see. For gossip. Very clear about that. And the Torah describes it very graphically, how you have to go to a Kohen, and the Kohen has to examine... Cohen has to pronounce it that it's Sarat, and then if a person has Sarat, there's a whole procedure on how you have to go into quarantine, and you have to keep people away from you, and you have to announce that you have Sarat, uh, and then you have to go to the mikveh. I have a question. I have huh? a question. Yeah. I, I thought uh, that a Cohen had to stay pure and, and not be around disease. Yeah. Death. Death. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. That, that I know. That's right. But I thought also disease. No. 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 But what were you asking about Aaron? No, about, no, no, just your. Oh, because the coin has to examine. Yeah. yeah Sometimes no. they, they, they say a house can have sarat. Right. Right. So, but how can a house have leprosy? Just right. Leprosy. So, it's not leprosy. Is that where the okay. Jewish expression soros comes from? No. Oh. Because that's a Hebrew yeah. word. But I thought. No. It's a different word. Oh, that's true. The soros is also a Hebrew word. Yeah. Uh, no, the root of the word tzaras is tzadik resh ayin, and the root of the word tzaras is tzadik resh hey. So why does she even go back inside if she had it? Who? If you have to be quarantined when you have tzaras. Why does who go back inside? Why does she even go back in to talk to Moshe? When? Just now. And then, sure. sent, and then she was sent out. She didn't go anywhere. She stayed out? She went out. Yeah, only Aaron, only Aaron went to speak to Moshe. It's probably why. It's probably why Miriam... Couldn't go ask him herself. And Aaron had to ask for her because she couldn't. It's an interesting thing, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not sure what the answer is about why God involved Moshe in this whole story. You know, Maybe one of you can, uh, can suggest that answer. Why didn't God just call Aaron and Miriam? Why did he, he, because he called Moshe Rabbeinu out too. He called him because he wanted to show uh, Moshe's wife the power of Moshe that Moshe asked God, please, Refanala. It's not Moshe's wife, this is Moshe's uh, sister. Sister, yes, Refanala. 
So Moshe has to know that this is because of his offense. Yeah, probably. And despite that, he's asking for her to be to be healed. Okay, well, well it's, it's true. An offense against Moses, but or Moshe, but it was it wasn't. It, it was an offense against him, but it wasn't um, his offense. It was an offense against Moshe, yeah. and yet Moshe was very happy to quickly pray for her to be forgiven instantaneously. Because it's Moshe, Moshe, you know. Yeah, but the whole point is that they didn't that they they didn't appreciate what Moshe was. Even his own brother and sister didn't appreciate what Moshe was. And by the way, it didn't help because after this, not Miriam and Aaron, but after this, you have Shlach with the, with the spies. Uh, doubt Moses and then you have Korach which is the grandpapa of all rebellions against Moshe and Chukas again and again the people don't appreciate what Moshe is but isn't that true today or in the past even in United States history where they question uh, a great leader all the time if they're you know either they're too good or they're this or they're yeah, that yeah. and it's it's just constant because there's there's an element of jealousy yeah. they may not realize it but there's an element you know why why is his prophecy why is he different from us i will tell you he is different uh, from nowadays nowadays the people the the the, the, the presidents and all those famous people they don't have the the channel that they can talk to... I don't think uh, that the Rabbi is talking about presidents. No. I'm talking well, about real leaders. Yeah. Quality I people. I mean, it doesn't, yeah, it doesn't matter who they are. Oh. They are... There's always someone... Naysayers. Naysayers. i got to tell you an amazing story. In 1955, there was a rabbi in London that received a letter. Mushka and I heard this uh, story today, today together. Um, there was a rabbi in London who received a letter. And the... Oh, no... It's a different story. The letter was an invitation to a bar mitzvah. And the bar mitzvah invitation said, please join us at the bar mitzvah of our son, uh, the, the bar mitzvah of the local Chabad uh, senior chassid, Rabbi Shemtov. Uh, please join us at the bar mitzvah of our son, and please uh, join us in blessing our son that he should grow up to be the kind of person that the Rebbe intends him and wants him to be. So this rabbi receives this invitation, and he goes, What? What kind of a blessing is that for, for, for a Jew to say? That a kid should grow up to be what the Rebbe wants him to be? What about that the kid grow up to be what God wants him to be? This guy wasn't a Chabadnik. He wasn't a Chassid. And he said, what kind of, what kind of an expression is that? Replacing God with a Rebbe? The kid should grow up to be what everything the Rebbe wants him to be. So, so the guy wrote to the Rebbe, which I find to be very interesting. <laughs> Instead of writing to Shem Tov, he wrote straight to the Rebbe. <laughs> couldn't write to God. So, <laughs> <laughs> so he says to the Rebbe, he says, uh, what is this? Why did your chassid say that the Bar Mitzvah boy should be the way you want him to be and the way, the way you intend him to be? What about God? Was the story that was uh, told on the, on the underground. Uh-huh. I heard the story before. Is that what story was told in the, in the, in the tube, in the metro? I don't know how do you call it. So the Rebbe gave him a bunch of answers, and um, if you want to hear the answers, I can tell you, I tell you the answers, but if I want to get to the Rebbe's last point, directly related to what you said and to this. The Rebbe said, I don't know you. The guy actually turned out to be a great rabbi, who is even one of the great rabbis in Israel today, his name is Moshe Sternbuch, Sternbuch. 
He's like one of the leaders of uh, Lithuanian uh, Jewry, Lithuanian-style Jewry. But anyway, he, the Rebbe says to him, I don't know you, so therefore I will give you the benefit of the doubt and, and make the presumption of innocence and sincerity that you are asking because you really want to know. But just so you know, I was hesitant whether to answer your letter because all too often questions are nothing more than defense mechanism. Mm. That people will use questions and doubts mm. to cast aspersions on a certain quality or a certain virtue that they know they should be doing, but they're not doing it and they don't want to do it. So instead of saying, hey, you know what, I'm not there yet or I'm, I, I'm just being lazy or whatever, instead they'll come up with kinds of like, Mm, I don't know if that's the right way. What about this? What about that? And in that way, they wash their hands of the whole problem because you know what? Who says that it's even the right thing? So the Rebbe said, I was, and the Rebbe says, and with those kinds of people, giving answers is completely a waste of your time because the Rebbe used this expression, you know, in Yom Kippur we say that even when the gates of prayer are closed, the gates of tears are never closed. So the Rebbe used this in a sort of a sarcastic uh, kind of expression. Not sarcastic, but like a bitter humor. He said, the gates of questions are never closed. <laughs> because for a person who just wants to ask questions for the sake of asking questions, just in order to give himself an excuse, yeah, you give him an answer, so yeah. come with a different question. Yeah. You give him an answer, come with a different question. He's not going to want an answer. He just wants questions. So that's it. the Rebbe said, you know, I wasn't sure if I should answer you, but I, I guess, you know, you're a good guy, so I'll give you an answer. But I just wanted you to know that. So it's an interesting thing that a lot of times people will ask questions about the behavior, conduct of a righteous person, and not, not in case of Moshe Aaron, obviously, but uh, not because they really doubt them, but because they feel guilty because of them. They feel less than. They're like, oh, I should be like that, and I'm not like that. Let me figure out a way to question their whole approach. How about the Rebbe's sister with the book thing? Yeah. That, that, I mean, it, it's like Miriam. I mean, worse. You know? Yeah, yeah. That was his sister-in-law. Oh, sister-in-law. sister-in-law yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, his yeah, wife's sister. sister-in-law. Yeah, and by the way, it's funny that you would mention that because I was thinking that here also. Yeah. That, 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 that the Rebbe's attitude was, you don't even understand what we're doing here. You're making this seem like a family thing, an argument over a position, over a library. God says to them, you don't even understand what Moshe is. You're asking why Moshe separated from his wife. You don't understand what he is. You don't understand what he does. You don't understand that he has given his entire life f- to be the teacher, of, uh, to be the, the, the uh, transmitter of the Torah to the Jewish people. You think he's like, you know, he has nine to five uh, rabbi job. And then from five to nine, he can go home and be a married man and be a family man. He can, you know, at nine o'clock, he show up at the office. That's not what he's like. His wife was not okay with it. His wife is very upset about it. That's why she said to, to Miriam, Oh, you've ochen for these poor guys. Their husbands, their, their wives, they're going to be very sad. Well, she was really upset. I mean, he said, but, but, I'm sure he was nicer than that. <laughs> but God told him, God told well, him. Well, actually, it was the fa- wasn't it uh, her father who said to Moses, It's not good for you to be married to my daughter. He. In the in the Bible, there's a section there where he actually says you should divorce her because she's not actually of. I, what I don't remember yeah. such a story. In the 
In the section where Jethro, Jethro advises Moses yes. to become divorced. No. Yeah. No. Oh, I mean, I don't, so. I don't think so. Robbie and the rap. Robbie and the rap. Wait a minute. Beit Beit Rabbi. It's okay. It's a machleka. The only person that I know, the only person I know that argued with Moshe and told him that he shouldn't, that he has no right to be married to Tzipporah was Korach. Korach. No, not Korach. Um, in the story of the, of uh, where Pinchas killed Zimri. Zimri was the Jew who took a Midianite girl and came running to Moshe and said, what are you going to do about it? And then when Moshe Abedin said, you're not allowed to, he said, well, who gave you permission to marry a, a girl from Midian? Why can't I marry a girl from Midian? That's the only time I remember anybody saying anything nefarious about Moshe's marriage. And definitely not Yisrael. Yisrael, uh, Yisrael uh, condemned Moshe for taking the entire burden of judging the yeah, Jewish I, people on himself, but I don't remember that we talked about. Around that. Yeah, I don't remember that. Well, which part? What? Which what? Where? What part? Around what part? It's around the part where. Um, oh, where Yisrael says. Right before Mount Taylor. in Pash Yisrael, right before Mount Taylor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but their concern. Why? Why did God got upset with uh, with uh, with Aaron and Miriam because? Their concern was the jeet. Their concern came from the heart. Their concern says, you know, they were going you are who you are, but that's not a reason to, uh, to be divorced or to be separated from your wife. It's a, it's, it's a legitimate concern. You know what I mean? If I, I love you, and I said, you know, I know you're up there. I know you're higher than us. But is that a reason enough to be separated from your wife? Oh, I don't think they were concerned. First of all, the wife why went that's to That's why them. Miriam went to Aaron. But that's why the wife went to them. Because she was kind of stirring things up. She didn't want to be, if you want to call it, divorced. And so she's saying, look, you guys didn't get divorced. Then why do I have to be divorced? By the way, let's not make a presum- a presumptions about, about Moshe's wife. There certainly, is a, there certainly is a distinction between being unhappy about something and being resentful about it. In other words, she could have accepted this as her lot, as her way of serving God, and yet feel bad for anybody else that has to go through the same thing. Okay. So not necessarily that she was upset at God for the arrangement, that she didn't understand it. It could be she understood it 100%. And, but she just said, oh no, if your husband becomes a Navi, you're going to suffer, man, because it's not easy. You think it's easy, it's not easy. You know, Moshe Rabbeinu's wife would have, to, we would, we would have to at least assume that she's a cut above you know, the average Joe. And Miriam and Aaron, if they, if they just, I mean, just, you know, simple conversation. If they didn't understand something that Moshe Rabbeinu was doing, they have every right to go over to Moshe Rabbeinu and say, Yilamdeinu Rabbeinu. Sure. They don't have to go and talk about Moshe behind his back and doubt God, him. Then why is God mad? Because they should not have talked about Moshe behind his back. They should have gone to Moshe. Uh, Miriam should have gone to Moshe okay. and said to Moshe, right. can you explain? I want to learn. Tell me, explain. Yeah. Not doubt him. They sat together and they doubted him. I got it. This Hashem got upset. Now, what does Moshe have to do to earn at least a presumption of righteousness? Right. 
That no, you're doubting, no, you think he's, he's taking honor for himself or that he divorced his wife unnecessarily. Why would you assume something so terrible about Moshe Rabbeinu? Even an average Jew, even an average person, you're not allowed to be choshed b'kshirim. Right? It's a terrible sin to be suspicious of somebody that's innocent. You have a suspicion, go talk to them. Don't harbor suspicion about an innocent person. All the more so Moshe Rabbeinu. So when, when Moshe got divorced, or when he sent her away, wherever, yeah. uh, it, it was out of concern that he had to be, above, he had to be the purest he could be, if you will, or yeah. the best he could be. Yeah. And if he was telling people not to uh, have Midianite women, he... No, this had nothing to do with her being Midianite. This had to do with the fact that a married man and a married woman, married woman, would have to go to the mikveh before receiving a prophecy because of the intimacy that happens between a, a, a husband and a wife. Okay. Nothing to do with the fact that she's Midianite. Hashem didn't want him to be married because he didn't have time. Moshe Rabbeinu didn't have time to wait to be purified. He had to be in that state all the time. Okay. So. Similarly to what the God told the Jewish people before Mount Sinai, when they were all going to receive a prophecy, right? They all heard God talk to them at Mount Sinai. And God told husbands and wives to separate for three days. Yes. So that everybody has a chance to go to the mikveh. Everyone has a chance to tahir, to purify themselves. So that when God speaks to them, they will not be under the, the influence of the of the, the ritual impurity that comes from intimacy. Not that there's anything wrong with it. There's nothing wrong with being ritually impure. Anybody that goes to a funeral becomes ritually impure. Not a sin. It's just that if God is going to talk to you, you have to go to the mikveh first. So fine. So God says to Aaron and, Moshe, Aaron and Miriam, you guys can be married because before you receive a prophecy, there's a whole procedure. So you'll know when you're pure, when you're not pure, and when you're not pure, you're pure you will not pursue prophecy. Moshe Rabbeinu doesn't work like that. He doesn't pursue prophecy. Yeah. I talk to him whenever I want. And he talks to me whenever he needs to. So therefore, he can't afford to be living a married life. He can't, even though you so can. How do we know? Did he tell him to separate? After, by Mount Teira, he told him. From, Ma, from Mount Teira. Why, before that, they didn't communicate as often? No, not, that, not like that. I mean, not, not inside the palace. Right, right. But it wasn't, I guess it wasn't to that degree because Moshe Rabbe, Hashem didn't have to teach him the Torah. Now that Hashem gave him the Torah, Hashem is going to be talking to him 24-7, teaching him the Torah. He, he's, Hashem, Hashem elevated him. So I, yeah. have, I have a question bringing that up to the present time. So it's okay for us to talk to God when we pray, yeah. when we meditate, whatever, we talk to God. Does God ever talk to us? Or, or if people think that he does talk sometimes, yeah. are we in a pure state to receive it? No, usually not, probably not. So it's just curious to me, or, or is it true that it's like it's a one-sided conversation? And you, oh, there's prophecy, and then there's uh, then there's something prophecy. else. This is not prophecy. And because of that, we don't have to be pure. Because it's not prophecy. Because it's not that the Spirit of God rests on you the way what happens to a prophet. Right. 
um, then that kind of ritual purity is not demanded. But if you if you ask if you ask for God's guidance yeah. in something, and you meditate on it, and you feel after a while that you sort of have a sense of what God might want or expect in the situation. Yeah. That's a way of God communicating. Yes, but I wouldn't call it prophecy. No, I wouldn't either. Right. So, so I'm clarifying. Yeah. It's just prophecy. Only prophecy requires it. Although, to be sure, what you're saying is that, that you're, you, you feel messages from your neshama. Everybody has a godly soul inside of them, and then, it's, and then the soul is talking to us all the time. You know, the Yetzer HaTov or whatever. And to be more sensitive to the neshama, you have to be more pure. But not necessarily with mikveh. Right. So like, for example, a person wants, you know, you're coming close to Yom Kippur, people want to get, they give more tzedakah, they daven more, learn more Torah. People getting married, right? They want to get married, they're signing under the chuppah, be a lot of blessings, or the kid is getting married, so they'll say more tehillim, they'll, they'll, they'll uh, maybe fast. There's other ways of purification without mikveh. Because it's, because it's not purification from ritual contamination, it's purification from spiritual contamination. So ritual contamination is not the same as, for example, a person, let's say a person eats non-kosher food by accident, right? Or a person once upon a time used to eat non-kosher food, and now they feel bad. So they want to purify themselves of that spiritual impurity. Go to the mikveh? No, mikveh has nothing to do with it. But there's other things that a person should do. Person should do. Person should say tillin. Person should daven. Person try to do a lot of mitzvahs. Help a lot of people. There's other ways to elevate, but mikveh specifically is connected to ritual contamination, which is a barrier to prophecy in particular. So, so the point of this whole story for now, the, the point of this whole story for now, is that Moshe um, Rabbeinu is the chief of the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are, in, are intentionally, specifically not anti-marriage. We're not, we are not pro-celibacy. The holier you are, you know, it's not like the, oh, the holier you are, then you have to be a single, you have to live in the church all the time. No, no, no. All the greatest of all of our greatest rabbis and Debitsons were married to rabbis and Debitsons. You don't find this anywhere. Only Moshe Rabbeinu. And you would think it's counterintuitive. If, if marriage is the holiest mitzvah in Torah, and Moshe Rabbeinu is the holiest Jew, then how does it make, how does it make sense that Moshe Rabbeinu shouldn't be able to be married? And, and uh, yes, obviously he was married. He and was he, married. And exactly. he had children already and everything. Yeah. But why should marriage be an obstacle? On the contrary, marriage should be, should be a vehicle to getting more godliness. It's a... Uh, it's, it's, uh, when, when I was engaged, I was talking to a friend of mine who was engaged. And he was telling me that he was going to study with a certain rabbi, mentor. And they were going to have classes about marriage. And the, and, the, and the groom, my friend, said, I really hope that I'll be able to, to remain, you know, a spiritually sensitive uh, person, even after getting married and being married. And the guy said, you should break off your engagement. <laughs> he was only half joking. He said, what do you mean? He said, if that's how you look at marriage... If you think that marriage and the whole world of, of being a married life is a, is a threat to your connection to Hashem, then you don't understand what marriage is. You don't understand what you're getting in a wife. You don't understand this whole mitzvah. And you should call it off. 
And when you're ready, when you understand what you're doing, then you should get married. So this put the guy, you know, pushed him back on his heels and he said, okay, 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 okay. So explain. He said, okay, let's start from the beginning. Let me explain to you what this mitzvah is and let me explain to you what a Jew is and how Hashem wants to be found in the, in the lower realms. That's where Hashem wants to feel at home. Not in Shul. The holiness needs to be in our physical lives, in every element of the physical life. That's where Yiddishkeit shines. Not in Shul. Not when you're in yeshiva and you're learning Torah. Oh, that's where you prepare. But prepare for what? Prepare to make the mundane world holy. That's where it's at. That's where the, the mission is. The rest of it is a preparation for that. And you're saying, no, the rest of it is a threat to that. A threat to what? You haven't even done anything yet. <laughs> Meanwhile, you've just been in training. Now you say, oh, I can't go to war. It's going to ruin my training. <laughs> well, what did you go to training for? No, no, I can't, I can't. I might get killed. Yeah, that's why you trained. Anyway, so, so how does it make sense now that Moshe Rabbeinu, who is the most Jewish of all Jews, has to separate from his wife? So the answer is basically found in what we just now said. That there is, there is an element that prepares us for war. That prepares us for this battle every day. The battle not to destroy the world but the battle to conquer the world, to be able to conquer foods, that it's no longer a threat to our connection to Hashem, because I'm gluttonous and I want to eat and I want to, and I want to eat everything, but rather the food becomes a way to serve Hashem. And now that business is not a threat to, Hashem, to your, my connection to Hashem, my business is my connection to Hashem. When I conduct my business in a... In a come on, come on in. When I conduct my business in a, in a holy way, in a Jewish way, then my business becomes my bond. Hashem, come on in, we'll be ready in just two minutes. Yeah. Um, Greg, have a seat. Make, make yourself at home on your throne. I'll be with you in just a minute. It's our next bar mitzvah. Herschel. So, but how could a person rise to such a level that not only does the, does the physical physicality of something, not drag him down, but rather he picks it up. That only happens with preparation. There is no other way. If you don't prepare and you get into the physical, it'll drag you down. If you prepare and you get into the physical, you will lift it up. So just in a simple, in a simple example, a, a Jew wakes up in the morning, you can't just go to work. Cannot go can't to just go to work. Course, First, you have to put on tefillin. Yeah. First, you say modani. And then wash your hands. And yet, the person will say, "But that's not the purpose. Hashem wants the, Hashem wants holiness in the mundane, in my office, in business." Yeah, but the only way to do that is if, for a half an hour at the beginning of your day, you are just alone with God, just you and God, and the world doesn't exist and there is no business and there is no work there is no office and there is no other people on planet earth just you and Hashem and when you emerge from that now you are equipped to change your office into a holy place but if you think you're just going to go over there and make it holy it's not you're not going to make it holy it's going to make you unholy so there needs to be that half hour out of 24 hours as a, as like say as a minimum or even whatever it is, but it's got to be a quality, designated, sacred period of time where you are not making the world holy, but rather you are allowing yourself to become holy. And then you're equipped 
to go out and make the world holy. So Moshe Rabbeinu, and that works like that in time. For example, how do we, how do where do we get the strength to elevate the world during the week from Shabbos? Shabbos, Shabbos imbues us with such energy that by the time Sunday and Monday rolls around, we are on top of the world. We will elevate the world. And every morning you have Shabbos for half an hour when you're davening, when you're doing Tlat Yadayim, when you're Mudani. And every year you have Shabbos for a month. Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Simchas Torah, This is like the Shabbos of the whole year where we, where we imbue ourselves with holiness for a, for a month when we miss so much work. You know, people literally missing work so much during this month because that allows you that when you go to work for the other 11 and a half months of the year, you are on top of it. You are controlling it and it's not controlling you. So Moshe Rabbeinu is like the Shabbos of the Jewish people as far as embodiment. He is the embodiment of Shabbos. So a person who said, well, Moshe Rabbeinu got married, I'm not going to get married. No, no, no. That's like a person who says, if God wants me not to rest on Shabbos, I'm going to do him one better. Sorry. If God wants me not to work on Shabbos, I'm going to do him one better. I'm not going to work at all. <laughs> so Hashem says, no, 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 no. Sheshet yamim ta'avod. I want you to work for six days. But how are you going to be successful in that work? That on Shabbos you're going to rest. So Moshe Rabbeinu, yeah, Moshe Rabbeinu not, did not have a marriage. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the uh, sacrificial lamb for the rest of the Jewish people to be that, that pure element of holiness that there, thereby gave us the strength that our marriages should be holy and our businesses should be holy and our recreation should be holy and our spare time and, recre- and, and uh, you know, uh, leisure time should be holy and our meals should be holy and everything should be holy. But that's only because of the sacrifice of Moshe. And we must say the sacrifice of Tzipporah, who, who sacrificed their marriage so that Moshe Rabbeinu could serve that. So it wasn't that Moshe Rabbeinu was such a high level that he didn't need marriage. No, no, no. Moshe Rabbeinu was on such a high level that the Jewish people needed him not to be with Tzipporah. Rabbi, I'm a little bit worried about the fact that you said right now, wake up in the morning... I don't put filin in the morning necessarily. I put filin before sunset. And it's allowed, no? It's allowed as a second best. I but see. you do modani, it has to be in the morning. Absolutely. Okay, so they have that in the morning. No, it's a, so, no, it's no, a no. matter of quality. No, yeah, now you're They're, telling me it's better to get all the kedusha from the morning and you carry it the well, whole that's day. Well, that's why. That's why yeah. Tzvillin ideally is supposed yes. to be in the morning. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, thank you. Can I ask, what happens if 